all you motherly meerkats out there. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. I am one of your hosts, Casey, and I'm joined by the wonderful Sarah. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. I'm enjoying that thunderstorm season has kind of started up down here, which I really enjoy as long as I don't have to be out in it. But also that does tend to happen or it has been happening like right as I'm driving home from work, which is not as fun. But I got a nice lightning show on the way home today. And then once I'm home, there's nothing better than sitting up with a good thunderstorm going on outside. So I'm enjoying that. How are you? Nice. Uh, I am... uh nine months pregnant so that just continues to sort of be the like state of of being and i am definitely like the end is in sight but then that makes things kind of complicated because you're trying to wrap up all the things of the before baby period at work and socialization like i've been socializing a lot more because people are like i don't know if you're busy right now i'm like i'm busy but i'm not gonna be less busy in like three weeks so (laughs) might as well do it so now I'm just trying to, today we put together a couple things in the nursery and just trying to make it so that when I come home from the hospital that I don't have like construction projects to do, <laughs> but that seems uh, wise. Yeah. Uh, hey, last week we had a little bit of homework. Do you remember what it was? The one that I really liked at the time that you gave it that I wrote down was to think about how we show our wealth. Yeah. Because we talked about rhino horn and potential solutions to uh, rhino poaching rhinos for their horn and that's one of the factors that plays into it is that this is somewhat of a status symbol for Mm -hmm. people and we all have different status symbols that we use so I I thought that was an interesting question but I have to tell you I really struggled with coming up with anything of of value within it did you I, I honestly, it just occurred to me in the last like half hour because, <laughs> because I, I thought about it. But again, I, I also had the issue of like, I'm not a luxury brand clothes person. I'm not a fur coat person. I'm not a fancy car person. Um, but I think one of the things that maybe I'll just try and keep in mind is even with the realm of sustainability, there's a certain level of sh- consuming items mm-hmm. that are supposed to be sustainable but are also kind of trendy That's um so true. certainly like the the one i've seen talked about the most is like the water bottle thing where like every couple years there's a fancy new reusable water bottle that everybody needs to have and that of course slightly defeats the purpose of having a reusable water bottle is that you're going to continue to consume resources if you invest in a higher model Right. over and over again. <laughs> That's a really good way to think about it. And we've talked about that too with like the tote bag issue yes. and that sort of thing. Yes. So I do think that um, it's not necessarily something that I continuously fall victim to, for example, but it's something that I could if I had disposable income that I felt like I needed to like spend on myself, but in a way that felt maybe eco-friendly, even if it's in reality just sort of a eco-friendly face without actually the consumption element so yeah that's that's the thing that I think I'm just going to keep in my brain as as trying to stay true to the value without necessarily falling victim to the the outward appearance element of it yeah I think that's a good one and I don't certainly mean to say that I don't have my things but I just you know, don't have a whole lot of disposable income. So right. I think there's, it, which is all relative as well, of course. I think for me, I was thinking more about, you, you mentioned like the community, how your community shows its wealth as well. And so I started thinking more about like our houses and our mm-hmm. yards and how we use that space, which is a thing that we've talked about a lot on this podcast in terms of just being mindful of the materials and the plants and how much water are we using to keep our lawns nice and green? Oh, yeah. and, you know, those types of things. So I thought about that in terms of community, but I do just think it was, it's such a good question and such a good thing to be thoughtful of. I think sometimes too, I am just a little bit uh, flippant or lazy about the amount of things that I purchase. Sometimes I'll just buy something without giving it too much thought. Just, you know, not even big things, not even expensive things, but 
you know, did I really need another book or candle or <laughs> whatever the case may be? So just, you know, buying stuff when we don't necessarily need stuff yeah. is always just an important one to keep in mind, too. Yeah, I think it that's a really good way to look at it and thinking about how consumption manifests itself in various ways across our culture, whether we use it as like a form of wealth signaling or self-care or things like that. I don't know. It's a question I'm going to keep pondering, especially as I have a baby and see what all the cool moms are doing and whether I'm going to get sucked into that. (laughs) So yeah, always out there. We'll see. Yeah, just a good thing to keep in mind. It's not like I'm, you know, never going to buy more new things, but uh, I think just keeping it in the back of your mind is a good thing. So, Casey, speaking of being a parent and being nine months pregnant, this is perhaps the last we'll be hearing of your voice on the podcast for a little bit. For a little bit, probably. So whenever you feel like popping in, uh, which, (laughs) (laughs) of course, uh, please do. But you're going to go on a a little quote-unquote maternity leave here. So... We're very excited about that, and I wanted to send you off with a topical episode. So we're going to be talking about parental care in the animal kingdom. Hopefully this will be a fun one. And I so I just wanted to ask you, I can't really answer this question myself, but what are you, when you think about becoming a parent, what is the most fun thing for you right now or what are you most excited about when you think about that maybe that's a very weird question too but I don't think it's a weird question I do think it's like an intimidating question um but thinking about it I think right now outside of the nervousness that I have just in general of like oh my gosh my life is changing and responsibility is changing Mm -hmm. um watching someone go through their firsts yeah of like all those little milestones is just really exciting to me. Everything from just like the developmental end to like the holidays or first time they eat this sort of food. You you get to secondhand, maybe enjoy some of that level of surprise and excitement that it's hard to recapture as an adult yourself. Yeah, you get to see things through their eyes a little bit as you're watching them. Yeah, I I think that's super exciting because I definitely I was one of those people who never wanted to grow up in the first place. (laughs) And and while there's certainly good things about being a grown up, there's definitely like, you know, a little less magic than there was when you were little and being able to maybe help create a little bit of magic for a little human that you care a lot about is exciting. It's an exciting prospect for me. Well, I'm excited to get to see that as well, sort of secondhand. And, uh, you know, there there will be a lot. There will be a lot of firsts because we do, as humans, we have our kids with us for a long period of time. Yeah. Especially when we look at it in comparison to others in the animal kingdom. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go through the different types of parental care that animals give and receive and kind of what that looks like. So stick around for a discussion on parental care and animals. All right, everyone, welcome to our discussion on parental care in animals. So, Casey, like we were saying, humans, generally speaking, obviously, this is not a perfect world. This isn't true for every individual, but human beings in general, we provide a significant amount of parental care for a pretty extended period of time. We at least require a significant amount of parental care. And generally, I'm I think that there's a pretty good ratio, but yes, you're right. Yes. Not all, not always working out. But uh, throughout the animal kingdom, parental care can look very different from group to group, from species to species. And so I wanted to explore that a little bit this evening. But you know me, I love to start with a good definition. <laughs> so true. I want to talk about what we really mean when we're talking about parental care. And I found a couple of good definitions from uh, a couple of different papers. 
and they, they both bring up a different aspect that I think will be good to have as touch points for tonight. So the first one says that parental care can be defined as any non-genetic contribution by a parent that increases the fitness of offspring and can occur before or after laying or birth. And then the second one says that parental care occurs whenever parents enhance the survival and or growth of their offspring, often at a cost to their own reproduction or survival. Casey, did anything stand out to you in particular about either of those definitions? Uh, Starting with like the non-genetic, which is Mm -hmm. like, hey, just because you're involved in creation of a baby does not mean that that counts as like right. <laughs> being a parent so much as being like you know the genetic precursor to what's coming around so parenting taking care uh and and making sacrifices for your offspring it sounds like and it can happen across developmental so if you're nesting like that counts even if the the baby's not out in the world yet yeah so i i agree i think that making that non-genetic so recognizing okay yes if you're a parent like that sort of the definite you you have to have a genetic contribution but that doesn't count as care <laughs> right so uh you're you're contributing to the offspring but you're not caring for them uh, so we're putting a line there and then yeah the part about parental care being able to occur before or after laying or birth so by that definition, you could say even that some animals that never actually see their offspring do still provide some element of care, which we'll talk about. And then, yeah, it's a sacrifice, which I think is a big part of, of being a parent. So thinking about the fact that parents in the animal kingdom care for their babies at a cost to themselves. So whether that means that they are giving up the chance to reproduce again, or in some cases, giving up their their health or even their life for their offspring. And I do feel like that that seems to be what it comes down to a lot in the animal kingdom is it really is a cost-benefit ratio when it comes to whether or not a species participates in parental care or how much a species participates in parental care. And it's ultimately what is going to be the best, not necessarily for that individual, uh, but for that species, what is the best strategy for them? And that can vary depending on a whole host of other factors. Yeah, I think it's interesting to look at for humans, obviously cultures around the world parent differently and so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of societal pressures expectations and norms that we have passed down or contribute to socially and for animals it's a little bit more like what was I taught when I was a baby or what is my instinct Mm -hmm. and that over long periods of time have just developed as part of the the norm of that animal's life history so it's just different than than humans because we have so many other things going on where we're communicating about parenting. Like they're yeah. not going on pin- <laughs> bird moms aren't going on Pinterest <laughs> and being like, "What's the cutest way to to start my nest?" And what's yeah. the most efficient way to feed my baby? <laughs> and it it was sort of interesting to reading about this because you, you you talk about sort of the process for how this happens. That evolutionarily, I think there's still a lot of questions there about how sure. different avenues of parental care develop and that you know it's not my forte so I didn't delve into that but it was kind of interesting seeing some of that out there so let's dive in Casey starting off with animals that we don't typically think of as providing care group of animals that you will not find (laughs) in this category are mammals of course that's sort of a defining trait of a mammal that there at least has to be a little bit of maternal care You're there present. Because, <laughs> uh, because we the mothers provide milk. So you won't find mammals in this group. But Casey, are there any, whether it's an individual species or groups of animals, anything like that, that jumps to the front of your mind when you think about animals that don't provide care to their offspring? Well, it is World Turtle Day. It is and while we're recording, at least, um, and not all species of turtle, but most species of turtle 
are not actively involved in caring for their offspring. Now, I am wondering based on the definitions that we have before where it says can occur before or lay uh before or after laying they do dig nests that are yes. important in incubating their eggs but if their eggs aren't going to incubate if they don't bury them does that count as like care or does that just like count as initiating a process that otherwise wouldn't result in offspring anyway in my mind based on that definition that's a good question that you raise I guess but in my mind that that is immediately what I thought of is like okay so these turtle species you could say provide some element of parental care I used sea turtles as my example there right to me that definitely falls under the definition of providing care you don't think so no, I don't. <laughs> I, I think it does by this definition. I'm not saying this is a high amount of parental care. Yeah. I'm saying this is by that first definition, the fact that these sea turtles are coming back from wherever they travel off to to go back to the beach where they were born, to go far enough up on land and to spend an hour, a couple of hours digging a nest. I guess so. Yes, then they abandon those eggs. They, and never, well, I guess never like, what's them. your other I, option is just to pop out eggs in the middle of the ocean where they're not going to actually like. So yeah, to man. me, that's just part of the reproduction cycle. I don't know. I I feel iffy about that. I'm going to continue to classify them to me as a non-parental care animal, but that they do try and set you know their offspring up. But they're not involved. I don't know. Maybe the, I don't like the squishiness of this <laughs> definition. <laughs> I think, again, I left them as a whole under the yeah. section of animals that don't provide care. But I do think that it is an interesting thing to think about is some of the things that, yes, these animals sacrifice in order to set their offspring up. But yeah, we do think of reptiles in general as being a group that is less likely to provide care although we've talked about our crocodilians as providing oh yeah care. crocodilians rattlesnakes um mm-hmm. some species will provide care i think like that a lot of them that give live birth like it feels like you kind of have to have a certain level of parental care we have skinks yes. that we have that give live birth and they take care of their babies um but once they like lay a nest and then Unlike the crocodilians who then guard the nest and make sure the babies get to need, be where they need to be and spend some time, like a lot of these other species that lay the eggs and are like, peace, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then never really interact with those offspring, it just feels like a different thing. It, I mean, it is a different thing. It's yeah. absolutely a different thing. But that's kind of the point is that there's there's so different much. Different forms. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So whether you want to call it care or not, there is definitely more of a process for, for it's some It's a spectrum. Species. I'll take it. Yeah. It's a spectrum for sure. Um, invertebrates is another one that is thought to, and I, again, I'm sort of this is all relative. So when I say right. reptiles are thought not to, you know, are, are thought of as a group of animals that don't, that's not by any means, obviously, blanket, to say yeah. that all reptiles don't, but just sort of proportionally less. Um, so same thing with invertebrates, in particular, thinking about insects generally are another ones that are, they are just sort of a, a lay their eggs and go type of thing. But then again, you get to thinking about like butterflies. They choose specific host plants that they lay those eggs on to Make sure that those eggs have something to eat when they hatch out. Bees are like active in their care of their mm-hmm. larvae. Like they're, I think, more traditionally a active parent. And there are some groups like within insects, like um, I think like beetles is a group that tends to have a little high, like the the burying beetle is the example mm-hmm. that I have. Are you familiar with the burying beetle? A little bit. They will literally like drag carcasses to a nest so like think like their babies yeah think of like a mouse or a shrew or something like that they will like carry this dead animal to a good place for their nest and they will defend the carcass they'll like eat and regurgitate rotting carcass to feed to their babies and so there's definitely a spectrum within those those insects as well so none of this is absolute 
But exceptions aside, it is only about 1% of insects that are thought to show true parental care. Some other stats for you, granted from Wikipedia, but you can follow through to their uh, original sources. They say about 30% of 500 known fish families show some form of parental care. And most often, interestingly in fish, that care is provided by only one parent, usually the male. Oh, like cardinal fish. They like keep the babies in their mouths. Yeah, yeah. So there's some mouth brooding fish. There's, um, so Finding Nemo is not entirely accurate, except for the fact that males will guard the eggs. So uh, once they're they're hatched, they're not really uh, associated as much, nor do they travel that far away from their anemone. But male clownfish do guard and fan and clean those eggs prior to hatching. Male care is thought to occur in at least 50% of the sort of parental care situations, and it could be even more than that. So that's kind of interesting when it comes to fish, because I think that's another group that sometimes is, we don't really think about parental care. Uh, also in invertebrates, uh, octopus. Yes, which we did talk about on previous episodes so you can listen to that all about the octopus but Casey it's this kind of a sad one but can you kind of recount it is a super sad one I guess this is where I feel like the octop like the sea turtles sacrifice feels so little compared to the (laughs) octopus because the octopus don't parent shame the poor sea turtles I I think I will I think I will parent shame these sea turtles I mean like (laughs) good job ladies but like the octopus talking about a super mom she's one of those who cares for her babies before they hatch but she's not just like defending her nest she's blowing the water over them to make sure that they stay oxygenated she's defending them from predators and she doesn't eat the whole time and so she basically dies slowly at the cost of making sure that her offspring survive and that just that feels like one of those like yes parental care even before they hatch out in the spectrum because it's not a binary it's a spectrum so absolutely yeah i think the octopus is like gold star yeah (laughs) parental care for sure and they're not the only ones there are other species Mm, that will do sort of that ultimate sacrifice but uh but yeah they're a pretty like there was the the one that was recorded for four years or something like that something wild I'm, it, yeah yeah i mean and it's worth saying in like these particular instances she's only going to reproduce one time and she's going to produce a crazy amount of offspring in that one go and so she's sacrificing all of it for the one go and that's the cost benefit right there, yeah right so that's why she does it and so if you think about that with this group of animals that we sort of just talked about in terms of the ones that don't provide parental care why why would you do this why would you just abandon your eggs and well, what's see what even happens? the point of reproducing like and putting the the fit well no genuinely like when you produce eggs or you produce an offspring there's a biological cost whether you're caring for it or not so like what why why invest extra or why you know just leave them alone and defend for themselves Well, right. And I mean, I guess that sort of depends on how you want to look at it. Is it going to be worth it to invest extra because you have already sacrificed to produce these eggs? Is it going to make a difference if you invest much care? And it is, it's a cost one way or the other, right? Obviously, if you are going to stay and defend the eggs, the eggs are probably going to do better, but you might be giving up the chance to reproduce again, or uh, you might be yeah, you might be giving up the chance to eat again. So that's the answer. That's the answer to the question is for some species, the cost benefit ratio just leans one way or the other for it to be worth it for the species to provide that care or not. And so a lot of times these animals that are not providing care, they're going to do things like lay a whole lot of eggs right? so that 
even statistically, though statistically yeah, something should work out they know that not all of them are going to make it but they are going to reproduce enough that some of them are going to make it obviously if the eggs didn't make it that's bad for the species so that wouldn't be a behavior that would keep happening so that's kind of how you have to think about it it is just even though it might seem cruel or cold to us it is the strategy that works for that species so let's talk about animals then that we do think about as providing care. This is the standard sort of that we might think about with our mammals and our birds, for example. But there's a lot of variety in what this looks like, too. Does just one of the parents provide care or is it both of the parents uh, that provide care? Maybe not surprising if you think about it. In species that tend to be monogamous, both parents are more likely to play a role in the parenting of those offspring. Whereas species that will, like, if males mate with a whole bunch of individuals, they're not going to be hanging around. (laughs) Right. I think it's also worth kind of separating in our brain because it's really hard to frame the conversation this way, is that... There is what the animals are conscious of and what has like biological implications for the continuation of the species. So you mm-hmm. don't necessarily know that this male bird that has mated with like or, you know, has had the female mate with many males, whether he knows if these are his offspring or not. And that is his yeah. conscious choice in the decision. But that is generally how that is working out is if it's a monogamous pairing, the if if you're just looking at it biologically, the male should have more investment in making sure that his mm-hmm. genes his continue, genetics, yeah. even if it's not something that, like, that individual is consciously making that choice for. Yeah. Like, they don't understand cell biology or things like that necessarily, <laughs> but. <laughs> I was kind of surprised, Casey, that uh, it, about, you can find different numbers, but I was reading that anywhere from, like, 80 to 90% of bird species co-parent. I guess I didn't realize it was that many. That is higher than I expected, but I guess because baby birds are not nearly as mobile as a lot of... So, like, Mm -hmm. if you're a, uh, I don't know, primate, you can cling to mom's back and mom can take you where she's going and you're both protected from predators and you're... um, she's able to feed and feed you whereas baby birds like they're in their nest <laughs> and if mom leaves and they're in a vulnerable location they can still be predated on but she still has to leave at some point to get food for herself and the babies so i guess it makes sense to co-parent yeah that's true and i mean you you see it a lot i watch the eagle cams all the time yeah. and you think of like flamingos and penguins and things mm-hmm. like that that you you see it it just struck me as a, a really high number especially when you think of I was actually surprised by the low number that only about five percent of mammals co-parent huh. doesn't that seem really low it does but like I don't know there's a lot of rodents and things true I don't know, but we'll talk about some of those too in a little more detail. And then, Casey, I started thinking about mammal parenting, just not just sort of the number of parents, but also like the amount of time and also just how closely parents invested. So I started thinking about this in terms of helicopter parenting versus like the latchkey kid. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Like, um, so I, th- I think you just have, again, it's a whole spectrum and helicopter parenting is that I just sort of chose that term, but just thinking about animals that really invest in their offspring. Is there anything that jumps to mind to you in terms of species that are really there for their babies orangutans i knew you were gonna say that (laughs) (laughs) i do have a picture of a mama orangutan and her baby from our old job hanging over my baby girl's crib right now um orangutans if i'm remembering correctly have the longest period outside of humans of maternal care it's like eight to ten years Mm -hmm. and they typically don't have another offspring at least for the first like six to nine years of that they're really focused on that one child that doesn't mean that they're like 
a helicopter parent for 10 years and they never let the baby outside of their sight. But it's an investment. It's a long-term investment. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's after being pregnant for seven to eight months. Uh, But the female, if you, I, I think what's in this conversation a little bit is the amount of learning and teaching that mm-hmm. an orangutan needs to survive because like us they have certain cultural practices and their survival skills are based on their location so they have to learn the particular re- food resources in their area there's not necess- they're not specialized in like that's that one thing that you can so just look for this color it's like no there's so many things you have to learn that it really takes that amount of time and their offspring come out like ours where mm-hmm. they, their cognitive development is progressing over a very long time period rather than like coming out of the the womb ready to go feed yourself. Like they have to they drink milk for a long period of time and then they have to learn all these yeah. other things. Yeah, this is and this is a slower, almost always just one baby at a time mm-hmm. reproducing species. So that investment makes sense for them. If they didn't put all of that time into it, that baby's not going to make it or is going to have a severely reduced chance of survival if that mom doesn't spend all of that time. I was thinking about sloths. Mm-hmm. They don't keep their babies as long. So that's another sort of spectrum is, you know, we talk about parental care in birds. It might only be a couple of weeks Yeah, when you go up to our orangutans taking, you know, 10 years. Sloths are going to be with their babies for about a year, but for the first six months or so of that year, that baby is like literally hanging on their stomach for six months straight. (laughs) You just have this baby hanging on them, dependent on them for all of their mobility. And then we did an episode on sloths as well. You can listen to that in full. But then she gives her baby her home she leaves her baby her territory yeah she doesn't want to compete for resources i wonder if she gets claustrophobic after a while if she's just like get off of me (laughs) i want some alone time (laughs) what goes through their minds and which is a thing that i wanted to mention by the way and we could talk about that with orangutans too are talking about this in a very sort of biological perspective like this is what the species needs to do that's not to say that there is not an emotional component in these animals relationships at all i think if you've spent any time watching mom and offspring videos you can see that there is connection not it depends range of species of course and all of that but so it's not it's it's not to completely disregard any sort of emotional component it's there but we do just have to acknowledge the the biological component. Yeah, drives we're talking a lot of this about too. such a broad range of species. Now yeah. you can't really delve into like what we can determine is an emotional factor. Like if you watch orangutans parent, it's hard to argue that like you don't see some of that same sort of connection that we see right. with our moms and babies. And even within orangutans, there are different styles of parenting based on the personality. So like mm-hmm. that all plays a factor as well. But like you're saying there's certain biological through lines to how different species work. Because even in species, which we'll talk about here too, where we do their time is spent together and we do see the investment in the parents, there are some really hard things and hard choices that have to happen too. So just wanted to put that out there. Uh, so yeah, so we've got some some great moms, some really high investment level parenting going on with some of our mammal species. And then we have, I wanted to mention animals like rabbits, because this is one that people might see in their own backyard, right? Sure. And I put rabbits on more of the latchkey kid type of parenting style, where the mom's basically going to leave these babies in a nest and come twice a day to feed them and otherwise these babies are just chilling by themselves in the nest until they go out on their own after a few weeks when they're still pretty small honestly um so this is kind of the opposite style where this is the normal this is what the the moms will do and you read a lot of like the strategy here is basically she doesn't want to draw attention to this nest so she's got her babies really well hidden and camouflaged in this nest where she's going to leave them be covered up 
and then she's going to come a couple of times a day to make sure they get fed. So again, different styles, different strategies. I think of like uh, seals too, like harp seals. They nurse on milk for like 12 days. That's right. I forgot about this. Yeah. And then mom's like, I got to go eat. Bye. And then they're just gone. Yep. (laughs) So like high investment, short period of time. And then it's, it's, it's learning from each other. It's, uh, it's a lot of like, you're on your own survival for a second there. Yeah. Well, I think penguins have a similar type of thing, right? So yeah, let's talk about some of the sacrifices that sometimes get made either way. I feel like you think about like emperor penguins are sort of that where the males will kind of just stand there with the and brood the egg and they'll go without eating while they're I can just hear eggs. Morgan Freeman's right? voice in my head yep. being like and they walked 70 miles yeah. to the ocean <laughs> exactly like, oh. and so that's amazing that's an incredible sacrifice on their part but then they will leave the chicks to fend for themselves then once the chicks are hatched and and grown up a little bit they sort of go off and it's up to the chicks then to sort of find their way uh, to the water eventually so there's you know there's a balance there too yeah and there's certainly um lots of situations where the parent will make the decision that the sacrifice is not worth it even if it's normally in their life history to perform parental care because maybe they sense that conditions aren't right or there's something wrong with the offspring that they're not going to invest that time into that particular baby yeah so you also see that in penguins when they're like not doing well parents will be like you know what i i gotta eat i gotta go and certain species too maybe a few know of any off the top of your head Casey because I'm I'm blanking but there are some species like of birds for example and I think even pandas do this where they'll have two offspring typically but it's like only the stronger survives and they will actually choose to abandon the smaller of the two offspring in order to provide the care that is necessary. So that's kind of what I was thinking about when you talk about the emotional side of things. Yeah. The Southern ground hornbill. Oh yeah. 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 Southern ground hornbill will lay one egg and then basically lay another egg several days later as an insurance policy. So if something goes wrong with the first chick, the second chick can then be raised but in most cases if both hatch the second chick is not going to compete with the first one and there's no like oh be nice to your brother it's like yep that we're just the one so in in that conservationists will actually come and take the second egg yes to help double their reproduction yeah it is interesting how conservationists can use that sort of abandonment strategy to our advantage when we are trying to grow the population knowing that the cost that it is for these parents and how that they cannot provide the care to be able to do something like that to to provide that care for as long as those babies need it and then put them back out in the wild. I do think that that's kind of a cool way to take advantage of that strategy. Other sort of sacrificial things that happen, Casey, we've talked about the importance of genetics here We talk, with the bird's you know, monogamous birds being more likely to care for the offspring and that sort of thing. Lions were the other big example. I mean, you would think about lions as providing parental care and also doing something that that is referred to as alloparenting, which we'll talk about in a minute, where multiple individuals within the group will sometimes participate in care. But less often talked about is the flip side of that. When a male lion takes over a pride, that has cubs that are not his, those cubs are going to get killed. He's going to kill those cubs in order to be able to reproduce with those females again. So it's a tough world out there for parents. And I would be remiss, Casey, to have an episode on parenting in the animal kingdom and not to mention the quokka. Yes. Are you familiar with quokkas? I am generally familiar with quokkas. If you've seen like a picture on the internet of a tiny kangaroo looking animal that looks like it's smiling, that's the first image. And then the second one that I've seen is like, you think you're a bad mom. Yeah. Quokkas throw their babies out the pouch to get away from predators. And that's what we have to talk about. And there is a book, I think, 
that yes. is like, what is it? It's like, I don't know. I get targeted you, added for you, it all the time. Yeah, you, there are, there are worse moms than you or something yeah, like yeah. that, which I think is sort of a lighthearted look at uh, parenting in the animal kingdom. But Quaka is sort of the poster child for this because yeah, that is the story that's out there is that if a Quaka, a mother of Quaka gets threatened, that she will throw her baby and run away. And it's not true, but there's certainly an aspect of truth there. They don't really throw their babies. But what happens is basically just a physiological reaction that the muscles of their pouch will relax and and the baby will come out, will fall out of the, the pouch. And that does enable the mom to get away. So it's not like she's chucking the baby or anything like that but it is a thing that happens as a survival strategy no it's not great for that baby but that does mean that that mom has a much better chance of getting away whereas otherwise probably the mom and the baby would both end up losing their lives right but this way she can get away more easily there's a distraction she can I don't know if she's faster without carrying that baby with her, but it does allow her to go off and have more babies. Yeah. Again, we look at it from that evolutionary perspective of like basically the point of life perpetuating life. It's the mother has already reached reproductive age, which is part of the Mm -hmm. goal. And so you rather sacrifice the animal that may or may not reach it to reproductive age than sacrifice the one who is within that prime that could then reproduce again exactly and i did not want to end on that note so (laughs) let's end with talking about this idea of allo parenting and that some species will work together to raise their offspring so casey what comes to mind when you think of allo parenting meerkats and lemurs are like Mm -hmm. the top ones that i think of but there's it's generally uh, social animals that aren't necessarily monogamous, although there are some groups of animals where there's like a alpha is a bad word, but basically top tier yeah. male and female who are the main reproductive partners. And then there are other animals that are oftentimes related to them. Maybe it's their like last year's offspring or a sister or something like that that will help raise the baby offspring. And then others, they'll all give birth like in lemurs, ring-tailed lemurs. The females will give birth all around the same time and their babies can kind of socialize and learn together, but also they'll help take care of the the group's babies as a whole, prioritizing their own typically. But Yeah. And you could think of that as being true in lions as well, I think, although Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more sort of opportunistic within lions. I don't know that they are as intermeshed maybe as they would be in lemurs, but... Yeah, I do think they allow each other's offspring to like nurse off of each other and often will like synchronize their birth cycles to help increase that i think it also i mean obviously with probably all around it depends on resources available and and things like that too Mm -hmm. but yeah so i also i agree meerkats lemurs lions some bird species will Mm -hmm. do this as well where they have a lot of helper birds hanging around the nest that can help bring yeah yeah bring food and things like that to the nesting parents so It's also an interesting strategy when it comes to individuals within the species, because as you mentioned, sometimes where like with lemurs and lions, multiple individuals are breeding and they're just sort of caring for for each other. But it does also happen where individuals will stay in their family unit and lose their own chance to breed because they're staying and helping. And so sometimes this comes down to this is the best available option for them. So they might be more likely to stay and help parents if there's a lack of resources available at the time. So it would be harder for them to go off on their own and find their own partner. Their chance of survival is better if they stay home and help parent. And sometimes it's like the the playing the the waiting game sort of yeah. thing. Like if you stay and help, if something happens to those alpha breeders, I'm here, I'm next in line. Meerkats. Yes. <laughs> but in like wolves, for example, that oftentimes there's that dominant breeding pair. And then you have, it's oftentimes the 
the offspring from the year before mm-hmm. who are helping out within the pack, even if they're not actively parenting, they might babysit in some cases. But again, from that evolutionary perspective, they're still related to those babies. So even if they're not their direct offspring, they are still continuing the genetic line yeah. by participating in that care. True. Yep, that is And practicing. True, for sure. Yeah, and that was kind of, I think, the first species many years ago that I sort of learned the term alloparenting on was with cotton-top tamarins mm-hmm. and learned about it in the sense that this was a good, for this, you know, this uh, social primate, this is a good way for them to practice their parenting skills. And I mean, we... I was going to say, in a certain sense, right? Well, I think humans might be one of the best best examples of alloparenting because how many like aunts, uncles, grandparents are involved in babysitting and, you know, making sacrifices within our society for it. We even do it for children that aren't our own. We have our whole, whole system, you know, like ones that aren't related to us, a friend's kids. We have a paid healthcare system, childcare system that helps us alloparent more efficiently within our society. So we might be the best alloparents of all. Yes. And that's why I wanted to end there. I actually think that that is a fantastic place to to wrap things up, Casey, unless you have anything to add. But there's just a whole a whole range of parenting experiences that you can find in the animal kingdom. Obviously, this is sort of a surface level look, but hopefully fun to hear about and think about. But yeah, there's a lot of ways to do it. There's a lot of ways for humans to be parents too. But I think it's nice that, you know, it does take a village sometimes and we're pretty good at helping each other out. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for helping me be sent off on an episode. (laughs) (laughs) That was fun. (laughs) I love a good theme. All right. Well, thanks for the discussion. As always, Casey, stick around, everybody, and we will be back with our challenge for the week. everyone thanks for listening hope you enjoyed this episode thinking a little bit about the different ways that our animals provide parental care i have a couple of challenges for you i the the main one though that i want to mention maybe our most sort of practical one especially in this at least in this part of the world our sort of spring going into summer you may be seeing some baby animals Mm -hmm. out there so a good one that i know a lot of nature organizations will put out there is just to be responsible with baby wildlife. So I think our our instinct is sort of to want to help if we see an animal that we think might be in trouble, but it is important to remember there is a lot of variety in parental care in animals. So you might see an animal that you think needs help, but stop do some research, check on it before you mess with it. Because if you're seeing a little rabbit by itself out there, if you're seeing a little feathered bird on the ground out there. A baby they, deer. A baby deer. Yep. Good one. They they very much are, are, are likely doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And there's all kinds of great resources. Maybe we'll share some to, to social media if we see them out there. But different flow charts that you can look at for different species. Find your closest nature rehabber and have their phone number ready. But just don't jump in to trying to give some hands-on care. Just do a little research before you try to help any baby wildlife or other wildlife in your yard. So that's kind of your main challenge. A couple other things that you can do. Again, not everybody's going to come across uh, that first challenge. So uh, if you thought that this was interesting, again, pick your favorite animal, whatever you want. An animal that you've always loved, an animal that you've always been curious about. Find a random animal and look it up and see what kind of parental care they provide. It's always just fun to kind of see what's out there. And if you have somebody that you know who's a parent or about to be a parent in your life, make sure you're being a good aloe parent. Help them out. See if they need anything. Yes, please. I'm sure this is going to be like a personal plea in a couple months. But yeah, do that. <laughs> Check in on them. Say hi. Check in And on don't be offended if they're not able to answer you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. If you have any questions, comments, 
thoughts, suggestions, anything like that, you can find us everywhere. We're on Facebook, A Little Greener Podcast. We're on Instagram at A Little Greener Pod. We are on Twitter at A Greener Podcast. And you can email us at A Little Greener Podcast at gmail.com. Maybe avoid the Instagram for right now. But you can reach out at those other places. Yes, Sarah, our release schedule will be a little bit different moving forward. It will be. uh, And unfortunately, I don't know exactly what that is yet. But we are probably going to be moving to an every other week release schedule for the time being. And the day of the week might change. But keep an eye on our social media for that because I'm not sure what it will look like yet so we will still be here we'll still be putting out episodes you'll still hear me you will hear some other voices some that you may be familiar with already on the podcast so stay tuned for more information on that a little greener is not going anywhere um we're just gonna look a little bit different for a second if you for some reason desperately miss my voice um we have recorded over a hundred episodes and I'm in all of them. So Woo! you've got a lot of things that you can listen to if you want to listen to our, our back catalog. We've got some really good stuff in there. And we generally try and keep most of our topics pretty evergreen. So most of that stuff is not immediately outdated. Right. <laughs> um, so you can always take a look through our catalog for that. But Sarah is going to be around. She's going to be talking to some really cool people. And I'm excited to listen to those episodes. Uh, I have asked for headphones for my birthday so that I can listen to them without waking up a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I will be back as uh, as soon as I am feeling up to uh, whatever capacity I am. But I know that I'm going to miss this while I'm on maternity leave. So I appreciate everybody giving us a listen and, and keeping this going for two years. Gosh, that's crazy. I know. Crazy blown by well we are 100% going to miss you but we are so very excited for you as well so we'll keep you updated you'll at least know when I have the baby guys but uh (laughs) beyond that I'm not sure so but thanks for listening everybody and I'll talk to you in a couple months and Sarah will talk to you in maybe a couple weeks bye